very warm welcome to another episode of Menopause, the good, the bad and the downright sweaty. I'm Diane Danzibrink and as ever I'm here with my lovely co-host, the fabulous Sophie Claus. Hello everyone. So, Soph, it's been a while. It has been a while. We've had a few issues going on of colds and family things and just Christmas, Christmas. as well. Which I <laughs> but that's out the way, hooray. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> it's so funny, isn't it? Everybody kind of, they're all sort of gearing up for it. And then when you talk to people afterwards, and I'm one of these... And you say to them, how was it? And they're like, yeah, it was fine. It's over. Yes, <laughs> it's kind of crack on. Let's get on with it. Just relief in your system. Exactly. We survived another Christmas. Here about we are. half a stone heavier, to be quite honest. <laughs> I seem to think it's acceptable over Christmas to have Ferrero Rocher for breakfast. Do you not get sick? Do you not get sick of the sight of chocolate in January as oh, well? Oh, definitely. Like, we've yeah. got half-eaten boxes of biscuits and chocolates. And I'm like... Oh, I just can't bear it. I can't even bear to look at it. I am a bit of a chocolate monster, though. I can, oh, I can eat it any time of day, but obviously I've joined Slimming World. Hey, hey. And, uh, yeah, so far so good. Lost four pounds in my Woo-hoo. first week. So we will be tracking that with her, lovely oh people. God. No pressure. There might be weeks where I cry. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's going to be really common, isn't it? There are going to be a lot of people going through the same thing right now. Definitely. Of, you know, and I just, you know, as I say... I think it's I think it's really tricky because I think you know sort of a lot of people do put a huge amount of pressure on themselves mm. and then it just makes the not achieving so much harder. So I think it's really important to kind of just take things one day at a time. I think for me it was more addressing my I had a few unhealthy habits mm. if I'd had a bad day. Ferrero Rocher for breakfast. Yeah, Ferrero Rocher for breakfast. Or I got upset on, I actually got upset on Christmas Day because right. I got two presents wrong and I was really proud that oh, I'd got no. them. And then I really felt like I'd let everyone down. And I went and ate a whole Toblerone. Now, that is a big chunk mm. of chocolate mm. and it was annihilated. Mm. And I just thought, hang on, I've not even registered that I've eaten that. Mm. So for me, it's more actually becoming quite a lot more conscious of what I'm putting in my mouth. It's really interesting as well, because essentially what you've done is you completely catastrophized a situation that was... Well, I bet when you look back at it now and you think, oh my goodness, it was presents. What on earth was I thinking? Yeah, and I just kind of thought afterwards wow, it really didn't warrant the sort of reaction I had. But I think it was just more that so many people at the time of year of Christmas feel this immense pressure to do this perfect, picture-perfect family day, to Mm. have everything just looking brilliant and the best table set up and Mm. so much food. I mean, Mm. what other time of year do you spend 200 quid on a roast dinner? Yeah. In hindsight, it's absolutely ludicrous. It's madness. Absolutely, Um, madness. And again, that puts pressure on people too, doesn't it? Because you know, kind of the financial outlay of Christmas puts a huge, a huge pressure on people. And essentially, it's just another Sunday lunch. Exactly. You know, we wouldn't be doing that every Sunday. No, and you wouldn't do that Easter Sunday where you typically have a roast dinner. And I think there's so much more now about actually being present on the day. It's not having presents, it's being present, being in the room, and just having that time. Yeah, absolutely. Shouldn't you really have that? all the time anyway absolutely lovely but it's really interesting what you were saying about the way that you reacted to that and I'm kind of thinking maybe although this is not specifically menopause maybe at some point we'll do something around you know sort of um, 
having your thought process hijacked and how you can deal with it because yeah. essentially what we're talking about is we're talking about the emotional brain being in control rather than the rational brain mm -hmm. and there's some really easy techniques that you can use to actually kind of get yourself grounded again rather than going off and eating your Toblerone which I'm sure was delicious <laughs> I don't um, even remember eating it that's but, the and that's the thing is yeah. because you are dwelling in your emotional brain you're not thinking rationally mm -hmm. but the emotional brain is a very very strong and actually it's the oldest part of our brain so you know kind of it's um, it's a bit like a silverback gorilla it kind of you know sort of it's in charge quite a lot of the time unless we work to spend more time in the rational so it might be quite good maybe you'd like to give us some feedback on that if you'd like us to do something like yeah, that um, we could do something like that in the future just to give you some strategies some tools and tips well, so many for... women say they become more they've become mm. so much more emotional like they'll see an advert that years ago they would have just looked at and thought oh that's a bit sad mm. and yet they'll sit and start sobbing about it yeah and kind of feel like actually I don't know why I'm being quite so emotional so I think it's hard as well, isn't it, to define very often. I know for me personally, um, you know, sort of initially it was clearly all related to having zero hormones. Mm -hmm. But as time's gone on, I do kind of have to self-check now. You know, is this menopause or is this something else? It's very um, easy, in, especially in surgical menopause, mm. to kind of blame anything on it because mm. it's such a huge thing it's mm. such a life changer absolutely and it is I, th I think I've definitely in the last two years it's nearly two years since my hysterectomy mm. and oophorectomy any any single thing that's happened in my body that's wrong oh mm. it's because I'm in surgical menopause mm. and actually it could just be that my thought processes have changed or my anxiety is getting the better of me it yeah. could be so many or outside pressures but everything for me just seems to get directed one thing though about the christmas day it was the 25th and i'd had my implant put in on the 23rd of december ah. and i was feeling pregnant oh really yeah i get oh, this initial real hit of estrogen and right. then my breasts swell and i just feel really nauseous so just having that flood of estrogen into yeah. the system so that probably wasn't the most comfortable day anyway, was it? Even though no. I know you were really desperate to get your new implant, it probably wasn't the most comfortable time for you anyway. No, the first one to two weeks after the implant, mm. I always have this spike. Yeah. And then it's kind of settles, and then it settles. off Yeah, again. really It is quite interesting, interesting in those, that week, though, mm. how I, I notice that I start dropping things. I get really, mm. really clumsy. Um, and yeah, everything just kind of, it's like I gain five pounds. But again, it kind of, it very much shows us just how key those hormones can be to the way that we feel physically, the way that we are emotionally, psychologically, cognitively. Mm -hmm. It makes a huge, has a huge impact, together. doesn't it? Definitely lovely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, unfortunately, we are still seeing an awful lot of people who are struggling to get their HRT. Um, it's kind of, it's come up in the news again recently. Um, our sort of, my timeline is flooded with people who can't get it. Um, I'm getting very low <laughs> on my own patches. Yeah. So um, it is quite, it's quite scary. Um, and I think the alternatives, obviously lots of women are being prescribed alternatives. Mm. Is there any risk that those alternatives will 
go out of stock because um, the demand has increased so dramatically. I'm not sure about them going out of stock. I think the bigger problem is that, you know, sort of because... So if we're talking about oestrogen specifically, the progesterone, we know there's one only one body identical progesterone. That's eutrogestan. There are several what might be termed progestogens, mm-hmm. so not body identical. Um, but with the oestrogen, it's pretty much all oestradiol, whether it's in pills, in patches, or in gels. The My personal thing is I've only ever used the same brand of patch for the last mm, five, six, seven. It's seven, what your body's grown seven used Seven years now. And so I'm... Although I know that it's estradiol in the other patches, mm-hmm. I also know that not everybody gets on with all the other different types of patches. Well, no two people are the same. And the way everybody's body absorbs the estrogen is yep. completely different. Absolutely. And the patches are not all identical in the way that they're made up, although they all have estrogen in them. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm kind of watching my dwindling stocks going down, thinking... I just cannot. There is no way that I can not have my HRT because the thought of going back to that non-functioning husk of a person <laughs> before I got it is that's that can't happen. Well, the knock-on effects of it are huge, aren't they? They could potentially stop. And I know of one woman who's had to go off work sick mm. because she cannot get her HRT. Yeah, and her cognitive function has just gone. She's um, she was prescribed the gel as an alternative, didn't get on well with it, and she just said that she feels like she had finally picked up and that everything had gone on to an even keel. Yeah. And then this has happened, mm. and her relationship has suffered, her work has suffered, um, her social life, especially over the Christmas period where you've got so many demands. Yeah. She she just feels like she's spiralled, and I think the fact that this is happening to so many women and the situation it puts you in when women are desperate and flying to Europe or having yep. to repeatedly go to their doctors because some of the doctors don't fully understand what they can give as an alternative. Oh, a, lot of them, a lot of them have got no idea and to be fair to them that's because nobody's ever taught them and they don't know about all the different possible alternatives. They don't know about giving separate oestrogen and separate progesterone. They A lot of them are just used to prescribing tablets so they don't really understand the sort of the patches and the gels, etc. That's very difficult. Um, but you're absolutely right. There are people where their work's being affected, their home life's being affected. I mean, on my Twitter feed the other day, there was a girl who, she's very similar to you in her early 30s. Um, she's surgical menopause. She's got two patches left. She's rung round. I think she had a list of 15 pharmacies. For her to ring to see if she could get any you know it's impossible and it's so hard because you really want to be able to point somebody in the right direction but we've got the only information that we've had has actually come via a pharmaceutical company not via the department of health it's come from Theramex, and they're the company who now will distribute Everell patches. They've bought out the pharmaceutical company that was initially making. So they patches. used to be they used to be um, distributed by Janssen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Theramex now have it, and they have. They're telling us that they're working really hard to get 
product back out there and they're now saying that that will be February. Well, if that turns out to be true, that will be a massive relief for an awful lot of women because Everell's one of the most popular patches mm-hmm. um, also happens to be mine. Yeah. So I've got everything crossed. It's the um, Fem 7 that yeah. is not due to be released until quarter four this year. End of the year. Or 2021 even on, on some of the products. Yeah, and there's a, still a big problem for a lot of people getting Estradot. Um, there are a couple of others one of them seems to not stick particularly well for some people Um, but the huge problem that we've got is as ever is this massive lack of information from the department of health who to be honest have been well they just don't seem to care they have been absolutely woeful Um, i have i've written now to minister for women again I have. I'm trying to find out who the um, who the minister in the health department is for looking after women's health. Um, I've been given two or three names. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be a letter this weekend to um, the health secretary himself, to Matt Hancock. Um, I'm going to encourage as many people as can, I can. Um, so we've got twelve thousand people on our page. I don't know how many of them will actually be able to find the time to print off the letter and put it in an envelope. Mm-hmm. But I would really love him to get bagfuls of this letter. Because so far he's not answered any questions about this, has he? From he's what we can tell, answer. from what we can tell, there's been very, very little information to people, um, which is an absolute disgrace. And as you rightly say, very much makes you think, actually, does women's health just not matter? Well, I actually have a feeling from him anyway that he doesn't particularly care about women's health because he's endorsed a website, a medical website, that basically says if a man has chest pains, oh. he must go to the <laughs> hospital. But if a woman has chest pains, that she's probably got anxiety. Yeah, And it's like, yeah, really? That- yeah. And when actually women are the ones that are more at risk of cardiac issue, it just it just it just makes me. So he's got time to do that, but just not completely to actually reinforces the, the bias. Yeah, um, in medical care that has gone on for far too many centuries. So um, if you're listening, yeah. please do if you have time, print off the letter and send it to your local. So yeah, that that letter will be. So if you're a member of the Menopause Support Network on Facebook, it's going to be on there. It will be on the public Menopause Support Facebook page. Um, and you'll also be able to find it on the Menopause Support website. So, yes. Yeah. So you've been a positive things. things. What? <laughs> Absolutely fantastic that yesterday the Make Menopause Matter campaign received, well, it went over 100,000 signatures. Yippee! So next stop, 150,000. Absolutely safe. Absolutely. I mean, just incredible absolutely incredible to break through a hundred thousand is just amazing i mean i've never run a campaign before and i didn't know i didn't know just how much work it was Mm. to keep getting the message out there on a daily basis because it is literally what you have to do to keep momentum yeah i had no idea how hard it was and you know it it has there's you know i won't lie it is bloody hard work mm. um as well as you know kind of as well as my full-time job um and everything else um but it is so worth it 
because you know we've already we've already achieved the aim of getting menopause onto the RSC curriculum from September this year there is no doubt that starting the campaign that talking publicly that has opened the door for other people to start talking publicly about their menopause to set up facebook pages to tweet you know kind of we've got lots of fabulous people now um, speaking up about what's going on, you know, you've got your menopause club. Mm-hmm. Um, you you've know, seen more companies bringing in menopause in the workplace policies. There is definitely the more going on at work. You know, I've got lots of things going on in the workplace this year. Um, there is definitely more awareness around GP education. Um, uh, Dr. Newson has got a GP education day in February um, where I'll be just kind of talking about my story in the campaign and whatever. Um, but there's definitely just see more popping up all the time. And we were talking about the videos, weren't we? Yes, because Dr. Louise Newson's released some videos that were recorded on World Menopause Day in October last year. Yep, so there's, there's actually quite a lot. Um, and they cover all sorts of different areas. So there's kind of general menopause, there's surgical menopause, there's premature ovarian insufficiency. Then there's some stuff with a yoga teacher. There's some stuff about nutrition. Um, there's one with Jane talking very much about vaginal atrophy, etc. Um, so there's all sorts of stuff in there. But brilliantly, there's also another lot of educational videos that the British Menopause Society have just released. So although, you know, sort of there's there's probably some crossover in some of them, mm-hmm. the more information we can have, the better. Um And I think the other thing is about all those videos is they're not just for women. They're really useful for partners and families. But a lot of that information would be really, really useful for doctors as well. Mm -hmm. And employers to watch as well. So they've just got some understanding of what what is actually going on in their workforce. Yeah. And a lot of them, I mean, the BMS ones, um, a lot of those are... I think they're all only between five and ten minutes. Um, The ones that we did at Newson Health... They're generally probably 15, 20 minutes, something like that. So it's not a great chunk out of your day. I think they should put them on TV. <laughs> do like a little mini, mini series. Just well, at a prime time where, you know, you men will be in the house. You just never well. know <laughs> what like, could happen in the future, this. lovely. You just never know. It's all really positive stuff. And it you is can really just positive. See it has completely changed. Compared to this time last year, there's yeah. just been. And it's only going to get momentum and keep growing, isn't it? Especially yeah. as more women talk about it. Absolutely. You know, it's in the it's in the newspapers more. Um, BBC followed up on their menopause week um, in January, which was brilliant. Um, Dr. Nigat went on and spoke about it. Um, I sadly for the second time couldn't be there um but she went on and spoke about it and brilliantly she managed to get so much information into her five minutes she did she was fantastic i was like go nigat which was fabulous um so i went so we're quite local to each other so earlier this week she invited me over um to go to a project that's running in her community so um very much for the women of the community. Um, a lot of the women are South Asian background. 
Um, and basically it's all about health and well-being and community cohesion, which is really lovely. So it was a really nice cross-section of women there um, talking about what they would like to do around health and well-being. Um, she gave a short sort of 15-minute overview of menopause um, and she did that partly in English and partly in Punjabi, which was great because it kind of included everybody. Um and to be honest, I think we probably could have been there for the rest of the day answering <laughs> questions. But it looked really busy in the pictures. It was. Really it was an room. amazing turnout. Yeah. Um, but again, it's another brilliant project that I don't think would have we would be talking about menopause at um, if it wasn't for all the awareness raising that's going on. Mm. Which is brilliant because, you know, the more we talk about it, the more everybody understands. And it's like passing the message on to any mm. women that attend those sorts of groups or your sessions that you hold yeah. or a menopause club. You give them information and then they'll be having a conversation with one of their friends and they'll be able to signpost them to more information. Exactly And then that. you'll have women that are just feeling armed with knowledge and having... Because all women have to self-advocate for care. Yeah. You, I don't know many women that haven't had to kind of beg or fight a case to receive any form, yeah. form of HRT. Well, we kind of hear it all the time, don't we? With mm. endometriosis, with POI, with PMDD. no one still knows anything about that Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, there's also can, uh, something that we hadn't kind of talked about, but also if anybody's listening and you have had a hysteroscopy and your hysteroscopy has not been the most pleasant experience... Um, or to the point where it has been a traumatic experience. There's currently a survey going on by Hysteroscopy Action, and they're looking for as many women as possible to take part in the survey so that they can get some really good statistics together. So if, you, if that applies to you or somebody you know or love, um, please ask them to head over to the Hysteroscopy Action website and have a look at that. And so if there's also another survey going on. Yes. Uh, do you want to just mention the BBC yeah, PMDD? Yeah, it's being conducted by the BBC. It's a research survey on PMDD. So it's about kind of seven, I think it was between seven and nine questions. Um, only took me a couple of minutes. So if you have had PMDD or you have PMDD or you know anybody that has, please, please, please um, have a look for the survey, which is on the BBC website. It's also on, I've shared it on my page. Yeah, I've shared it on shared mine. It on, yeah. and, and the Menopause Support yes. Facebook page. Yeah. Um, just so that they can get a real good picture of the struggles that people face when you, when you have PMDD. For anyone that's listening, Sophie, that has not heard one of our previous podcasts and has no idea what we're talking about when we're talking PMDD, could you just give a really brief overview of what PMDD is? Yeah, so PMDD stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and it's a cyclical mood-based hormone disorder um, that can generally affect women kind of up to two weeks before their period. Um, One of the key things with PMDD is that as soon as you start to bleed, you feel this relief just come over you, um, whereas most women without PMDD, you're like, oh no, yeah. not again. Yeah. Um, and with PMDD, it can lead to, fe- lead to feelings of hopelessness. You can completely shut down. You can have suicidal ideation. Um, for me, it meant that a week, but between a week and 10 days before my period, I wouldn't be at work. Mm-hmm. I would stop talking. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would stop washing, eating. Um, and at, at one point I felt really 
really, really bad and yep. nearly ended my life. Um, and the, the key thing with PMDD is one in 20 women are thought to have it. Yeah. Um, it's really underdiagnosed. Still in the isn't UK, it? it's hugely undiagnosed. Many doctors still refuse to say PMDD. They say severe PMS. Severe PMS, yeah. Um, and it seems to be a real battle to find someone that actually understands. Yeah. And PMDD was one of the driving reasons alongside endometriosis, why I had my hysterectomy. Mm. Because that week before, week to 10 days, was just too dangerous. Yeah. It was just far too risky. And I think one of the really key messages about PMDD is that if you're being told that... If you're recognising what Sophie's talking about, but you are being told by a medical professional that it's just because you've got a hormone imbalance, that's absolutely incorrect. It is not about having a hormone imbalance. It's about having an unusually high sensitivity to the hormone fluctuations. Mm -hmm. So often it's called a hormone imbalance and it absolutely is not. It's exactly what Sophie described. So again, if you're you can easily find that survey via B via the BBC yeah, and Vicious, the vicious Cycle. cycle yeah. um, Our lovely friend Laura. Yes, amazing yeah. Laura. Or um IAPMD. Yes. They've, they've got lots of information on there as well. So there's some brilliant groups now and forums that you can join. And there's also a conference coming up, isn't there? Um, in April, I yes. think it's. I think it it's. Brighton? I think it's. Is I'm that, speaking at it, so yeah. I hope. I hope. I think it's April, and I think it's Winchester. Winchester. Um, but if you look up PMDD conference, there's one day which is for um, the general public, and then there's another day which is just for medical professionals. So if it's an area that interests you, have a look. Um, if you can't find it, message one of us, um, and we'll help you get in touch and so that you can find out some more details but yeah so that's coming up too so there's loads going on lots going on around all kind of different areas of women's health aren't there yeah good excellent my love well we hope you all is that us caught up yes that is and our next session will be about anxiety and particularly driving that we're going to discuss aren't we which is something that you know a lot about at the moment my love isn't it (laughs) (laughs) all right as always if you'd like to contact us you can reach us on hello menopause podcast at hotmail.com lovely and we will look forward to speaking with you next time take care bye